Welcome, everybody. Hey, it is Saturday morning. It is the 17th of July, and I'm Eileen Grimes, astrologer, and with me today is Mr. Michelangelo. He is from New York City. He's our regular guest when we have a special musical person that is on, on not online, actually, but, you know, in spirit. Uh, but we're today we are doing Maurice Ravel, who wrote the Bolero piece, you know, and that was his most famous piece, I found out. I did a whole thing of research yesterday. I have 10 pages of notes michelangelo isn't that something i had a me i had two but <laughs> man what a life you know Oof. anyway so uh we're going to be talking a lot about him and his chart coming up and we'll give the data and we're going to be doing him as the celebrity of the week too so that's usually how we do it but michelangelo and i are going to be talking about his life and his his um compositions and just about everything that happened to him and we'll look at it through the astrological lens which will be fascinating and his life is pretty fascinating when you get right down to it. Um, uh, there's comments I'm, I don't know. Uh, he hasn't heard them yet. Michelangelo hasn't heard them. But I have, I have some theories about him. So um, we'll be talking about him a little bit. So anyway. Um, and let's see. Do we have anything else on today? Uh, no, I don't think we have anything else out today. Okay. So, um, yeah. So we're going to do that right after the break. And we're going to be talking about him for the full hour. So um, we're not going to take any phone calls, but we might in the future. Who knows? You know, evidently that one when we had on uh, Donna Sebo a couple of weeks ago, we were flat, just, you know, completely smashed with phone calls. So it was really great. So people are listening and I'm really happy that they are. And you if you are listening, thank you so much for doing that, because we really do appreciate that so much. So anyway, right after the break, we're going to be talking about uh, Senior Revel. That's not Senior. It's Monsieur Revel. Thank you. He's French. Anyway, so this is the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. Alternative Talk 1150. We're on your radio at 1150 a.m. We're on your HD radio at 98.9 Channel 3. So many ways to listen. We're on the web at 1150kknw.com. Streaming live audio and video as well as MP3 archives of many of our shows. So many ways to listen. And now, we're on your smartphone or tablet. Download our free app in the Apple App Store or Google Play and take Alternative Talk 1150 anywhere you go. So many ways to listen. Alternative Talk 1150, local talk for the body, mind, and soul. Wow. I mean, I haven't really listened to all these pieces all the way through. That is a bunch of moods stuck together. Wouldn't you say that, Michelangelo? Wow. Oh, yeah, most, most assuredly. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's a really very attractive piano concerto it's that he beautiful. wrote. It's uh, beautiful. It's wonderful. Yeah. I mean... He starts off when he starts in another, and he does another, and he's another. Wow. I mean, he's very yeah. eclectic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, very, very eclectic. Okay, yeah, so. I don't know if you listened listened a little further on, but there's a decided echo of something that sounds a bit like George Gershwin. And oh, really? uh, Ravel um... became very interested in jazz um, as he uh, matured in his uh, career, you know. And I should listen I to was... the rest of it because, yeah, we, really as we know, or we don't know, that um, yeah. George Gershwin asked him to teach him. Yes, that's right. That's Absolutely. right. So yeah. I can see why he would do that, actually. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah Ravel was certainly uh, one of the master orchestrators of the 20, 20th century, maybe the greatest after Rimsky-Korsakov, you know. Uh, right. And, uh, 
you can hear it in his compositions. It's oh, just man, I tell you, just brilliantly out there, just right between the eyes. Okay, yep. so let me give you his birth date, everybody. Okay, he was born March 7th, 1875 at 10 p.m. And uh, basically, I used Biarritz, France, because the other city wasn't listed, which was, what was it, something? Do you remember the I've got Saint-Jean-de-Luz here. Oh, you do? Um, okay. Yeah. yeah the in, degree in, of the ascendant is four degrees, Scorpio. Yeah, it's the same. Okay, yes. so we got the same chart. All righty. Thank goodness. Yeah. You don't want to be on two different pages here. Okay, yeah. so let's talk about his chart a little bit. Um, after kind of digesting, and I spent most of the day yesterday uh, reading on Wikipedia, his bio and everything else involved with it. Man, what an interesting life. It's just yeah. kind of bounced all over the place, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And uh, it's certainly a chart that I think it presents with a lot of outstanding features. Yes. Um, Let's list the, some the of big, them. Well, the first one, of course, is, is Uranus right at the top. Yeah. You know? I, mean, I mean, that's really That's the first something. thing and, I you know, noticed. We don't, yeah, we don't really think, I, th I think, of Ravel so much as an, a revolutionary in the same way as we would Debussy, although yes. they sort of lump them both in the same camp right neither of which we're terribly happy about that i, I think but so it uh, one of the things that i came across and maybe you did too is is his early embrace of uh recording technology you yes. know, uh, which was certainly you know, yes that he would certainly was, be innovative he was the first one to record wasn't he yeah yeah well, certainly one of the earlier ones yeah yeah and that's quite fascinating and um of course there's this Again, we have to say that even if he isn't an innovator in the same way that Debussy is, because Debussy, I think, in many ways was really a, a musical anarchist uh, yeah. of, a, of a different sort than, say, Wagner, who sort of blew everything up in his way. But, oh, uh, that's true. Yeah. But, you know, he still had a very idiosyncratic genius, Ravel, which is, I think, really something that people early on recognized some of it, but I think it's only really latterly that people really began to understand the unique gifts that he had. Yes, and it took him quite a while to get, really sink his feet in and get going, basically. I think yeah. it was about the 20s where he was, his, his music started to get quite popular. Yeah, you know? and of course we could probably attribute some of that to our, our dear friend Mercury Retrograde, right? Oh, the we could, the delay in having Yeah, the develop. delay of that. There was and, one thing uh, I wrote down here in my notes, and you probably find this interesting, but um, it was something that was so obvious to me after listening to it, the timing of all these things and when they played out. That mm -hmm. it, and I haven't listened to all of his music that much, but you know, he and Art Deco seem to float together really well. Oh, oh that's, that's yeah, interesting. you know, yeah. because art, you know, any art form that's whether it's artistic or it's music will kind of they'll coincide with each other. And reflect each other during the time period that they're in, you know. Yeah. And I think was thinking 1920 into the 20s, he started to gain a lot of popular. I said, well, that's right in the height of Art Deco movement, you know. Yeah. And and some of his music actually sounds like that, you know, that mm -hmm. how you would visualize or how you would hear that particular music being played through an Art Deco sure, form. I can, I can see, definitely hear that and see that. Absolutely. Yeah, I could hear it in the last piece. You know, yep. I really could. So um, I wrote that down as a big, huge thing because I thought, well, we might come back to that because it was something, in, you know, he's going to be under the influence of many things, you know, during the time he was alive. You know, the social oh, yeah. environment, everything, 
and and how everything you know the people that what kind of music they were listening to at that time, you know. So um, that type of thing kind of wove its way into his music. It seems like oh, you mean a tremendous ferment in in classical music between 1875 and let's just say arbitrarily 1930. You know, I mean, just yeah. so many innovation so many remarkable composers yeah. you know born and, and produced these extraordinary works we could talk oh, about yeah. Stravinsky we could talk about yeah. Debussy we could talk about I mean, absolutely and we have the waning years obviously in the early 1970s of Verdi and Wagner you know so that influence still persists you know at, at least until the latter half of you know the latter bit of the 19th century and yeah. all of this sort of drunk in you know as part of his musical education yeah let's look at his chart a bit his chart's interesting Sure. Well, I just wanted to comment a little further on the Uranus, yes. uh, the elevated Uranus was yes. that, of course, his father was an engineer and apparently a fairly successful inventor. Yes. And Ravel sort of, in an interesting way, inherited those proclivities, you know, although he curiously throughout his own life, and maybe again, this is the Mercury retrograde speaking, uh, he had a peculiar lack of dexterity at certain kinds of ordinary tasks, but the most mm -hmm. intricate you know, sort of, I read something just a little while ago, maybe you probably saw it too, that he made these little sculptures in bread, apparently, oh. you know, that he had this, so he was almost like a Swiss watchmaker uh, that okay. uh, person was made. So I think that we could also associate that with that very powerful yeah. Uranus at the midheaven. Yeah. In all sorts with the Mercury retrograde, it's Mercury's yeah. in Pisces. Now you would not expect it to act in the way it would act, like yeah. somebody like a Mercury in Virgo, but that's kind of what his brain turned out to be. He was very yeah. meticulous about what he did, yeah. so hyper yeah. meticulous. Yeah. 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 And, you know, he wrote pieces. He wrote them for the piano and then he orchestrated them. Usually. Is that what he did? Yeah. yeah. He did uh, definitely, um, you know, capitalized on the fact that he could take a piece like the Pavan for a Dead Princess, which I hope we're going to listen to. Yeah, we're going to listen to that here. And turn it into just this beautiful orchestral version, you know, just yeah. remarkable how yeah. he was able to translate his his, you know, very interesting piano pieces into right. even more striking orchestral renditions. Yeah, it seems like it was like his homework to do the mm -hmm. the, the the written out piece first, you know, yeah. and then yeah. to transpose it for, for orchestra. I mean, that was sort of like, you know, it's sort of like doing the outline for a book when you're writing it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's a, it's a way that, you know, many composers will proceed, you know, the, yeah. a, a composer writes an opera, they obviously don't write the full yeah, right, orchestral right. score, usually, I and mean, yeah. Puccini certainly never did, he sketched out everything on the piano and orchestrated it later. Oh, well. So it is a fairly uh, common way of proceeding, but nevertheless, the, the capacity to mine these pieces and bring them to a wider audience through, uh, you know, the, I think there's an immediate appeal to an extraordinarily successfully orchestrated uh, work that mm -hmm. maybe a piano piece doesn't have as quite a, a big a draw. You know? Right, exactly. Yeah, and yeah. he must have been felt driven to do it too. And I mean, he was yeah, quite obsessive yeah. about doing the right thing when, mm -hmm. you know, and making sure it's perfect, you know, yeah. and um, that's not, that's Mercury and Pisces. No, that's not really Mercury and Pisces, but it is retrograde. So, it, well, it does, does square Mars, so he's got that Okay, the drive. You know, that, that yeah. impetus there and of course mars and sagittarius yeah uh, of course that elevated uranus made him extremely independent in many many ways mm -hmm. you know? yes that's for sure you know i told all the... that with go ahead, go ahead i'm sorry i'm sorry you couple that with the new moon also in pisces yes that's true you know, that's uh, that innovative and independent streak seemed to be yeah. the other interesting thing too is that he really was indifferent to what people thought about yeah that's music. right he didn't uh, really care 
Yeah. 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 He didn't. Which he sort of knew what he, he was. He was definitely, you know, on the right track for himself. He yeah. took a he took a different road. Obviously, you know, he went down yeah. road, and then he went taking that one. I'm not taking this one. You know, that's not yeah. right for me. You know, yeah. so and you know, I anytime I see a double Pisces, you know, Sun and Moon, you know that the the creative function is going to be really well developed. You know, yeah, and the big three, of course, all in water. So uh, yeah. You know, so the, that's you know, true. Ah, uh, yes, Sun, Moon, and Rising sign. Yeah, yeah. Scorpio so Rising. Uh, you know, the, a, the interesting, they were talking about his, his personal life. Yeah. And um, they said they really didn't know much about his personal life. He was a mystery. But he yeah. did he did go to brothels. And yeah. He, and he didn't have that, you know. And the Scorpio Rising would obviously give him a real uh, sense of, oh, i got to take a break, don't I? Hello, I'm going to talk all day without <laughs> taking a break. Just, I just go ahead and finish this. that comment, then yeah, we can just, go to okay. break. So anyway, um, it's... Uh, you know, with the Scorpio, you know, Scorpio rising, everybody's going to notice it. It's going to be right out there in front of people. And I, I remember looking at the pictures of him. I thought he was pretty cute, you know. Yeah, when no, he was very, kind very of, elegant, very dapper. Very, very elegant. But, yeah. you know, he had... Tiny man. Tiny, yeah. And now that's the interesting, that's part of the Uranus thing. You know, everything went together except for his height. You know, there's one thing that out, stood out as being different. You know, so he's huh. quite... How yeah. tall was he? Oh, I'd have to check, but I, I think probably. It's like, you know, I don't five, remember. Maybe, maybe it's five foot four or something like that. I yeah. don't remember. Pretty, pretty short. Pretty darn short. Yeah. So, I mean. Five foot three. Yep. Five foot three. Oh, there we go. Oh, thank you. Well, that's you. really short for. That's really short. Yeah. That's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's what it says. Cool. Well, thank you, Nathan. That was good to get that. Okay. So, anyway. Okay. So, we're going to take a break really quick right now. It's fun talking about this guy because he's a very, very unique guy. So let's go to the break, and we'll be right back here with the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. This is Martha Norwalk. Every Sunday morning, beginning at 9 a.m., thanks in part to Nels Rasmussen at SpiritualPetConnection.com, we cover the world of animals. This week, July 18th, it's Behavior Training and Healing Sunday with me, and talk with your human or animal friends on this side or the other, and personal awareness coaching with Natasha Venter. We'll have open phone lines for your calls, so hope you can join us and plan to call in. Martha Norwalk's Animal World, Sunday morning, 9 a.m. to noon, right here on Alternative Talk, a.m. 1150. Alternative Talk 1150. Talk radio for the body, mind, and soul. Wow, I was getting lost in that one. That is just beautiful. That is the, um, okay, look, it's the uh, suite number two from Daphnis and Chloe. And um, that just reminds me so much of Holst for some reason. I don't know why. Well, a similar kind of impetus. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of around the same time, weren't they? Yeah. Yeah. yeah they're more or contemporaries. Yeah. Um, um, of course, notably, Vaughn, Vaughn Williams, who's Holst's great friend throughout his life, actually studied with Ravel, one of That's the few right. pupils that Ravel actually uh, sort of deigned to take on because he was so afraid, as as with Gershwin, as I'm sure you probably read, I mean, that he was afraid that Gershwin would just turn into a Ravel imitation. And so yes, yes, I remember reading Gershwin that. From studying yeah. with him. But yeah. Vaughn Williams, maybe because he was of you know, the English school, and he was particularly, you know, involved with the collection of folk song, his, his muse arguably probably wouldn't have been um, as susceptible, for want of a better term, okay. to, the, to the Gallic influence of Ravel. That's just but you can certainly hear it in, in Vaughn Williams' later uh, 
compositions, how influenced he was by Ravel's orchestration. Yeah, this is an impressionistic. This is right around um, eighteen, late eighteen hundreds, early early nineteen hundreds. Mm -hmm. This is the yeah. impression. Although Ravel probably would have bridled at the term impressionism. Yes, he would have. That's did. right. He that's yeah. what he said in the you know he wouldn't like that much. Yeah, no, so I remember not. reading that. Yeah, yeah so but, I wonder but no, what. No, Daphnis and Chloe, which yeah. we just heard. I mean, to me, that that opening section of Daphnis and Chloe is just sublime. That's you know? just I mean, gorgeous. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, arguably, people say maybe his greatest work uh, yeah. of the three big ballets that he composed in, in that short period of time right. for Sergei Diaghilev. Of course, some people will know that Stravinsky also composed uh, ballets for Diaghilev, most famously The Rite of Spring. Okay. Yeah, that's so, right. So uh, Ravel also uh, composed these ballets, but that suite from Daphnis is a, definitely a perennial favorite with orchestras worldwide, for right. sure. I remember reading that um, Stravinsky was, I guess, premiering or showing off the Rite of Spring yeah. for everybody, and I guess Ravel was the only one that got the music, really yeah. got it, and nobody yeah. else did. Uh, that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. yeah, well, that's certainly that Uranus would make him a forethinker, wouldn't it? I mean, he would yeah. really be on the cutting edge, even though he sort of described himself to a certain extent as a traditionalist. He would recognize that innovative. He spark certainly he would via the mechanism or how he did things, the procedures yeah. and yeah. very, very traditional. But his music is certainly not traditional at all. No. no. And um, yeah, the interesting thing, I'm looking at Uranus at the Midheaven, and it's also ruling the fourth house cusp. So he has the influence of both Aquarius on both parents. So, yeah, yeah his mother was evidently, what was it, illiterate, something else? Oh, um, also. Yeah, purportedly, yeah. Yeah, and, she yeah. Was and all, illegitimate. There's and that's right, yes. So that's yeah. an unusual situation right there. But yeah. her fa his father, being an inventor and all that kind of stuff, really gave him a a perspective that was very unique about his parents and how what the things would have been appropriate or the things that he would want to to do to stand out so he, his parents would probably accept him and revere him would be to do yeah. things very differently you know yeah. yeah and he pretty much did his whole life yeah yeah no there's a, there's a strong independent streak as i said this whole idea of this studied indifference to what people thought you know just following his own individual yeah. lodestar whatever that was you know, yeah um, you know the interesting thing but um when he went to the paris conservatoire of music yeah. he was thrown out three times yeah it's <laughs> i mean speaking speaking as someone who i don't have uranus at the midheaven but it does try in the midheaven who was, right. who was thrown out of at least one school myself yeah i can certainly understand how that could have happened because he he really was an indifferent student. You yeah. know, he only really wanted to learn what he wanted to learn. And again, you could see, you could see how that it's amazing how people will take against you if they perceive something that they maybe they secretly wish they had. Or, yes, you know. that's probably true, you know, and, because uh, in the yeah. closet, a lot of these people were that really liked him. They didn't really yeah. show it. But the no. people that really liked him were very important people. Yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So Foray, notably. Yes, and, Foray for sure. And yeah. some degree WC, but not that much. But no, just a little, um, again, some WC and influence some people have detected, but but I would say only early on probably. Yeah, there's I can hear it a little bit, but not that much. Yeah. But no. um 
I'd still be interested to see the connection to Holst because I kept hearing the tonality of Holst going through there too. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, and so it it kind of, it would, he would have been just kind of crazy, seems like to a lot of people, like an alien that dropped in from a different planet, you know, and had yeah. different, <laughs> you know. Yeah, you know, I think you I mean, could see that, absolutely. You know, it says, what are you doing? What are you composing? You're not doing it like everybody else's. You've got your own way. It says, well, that's the only way I can do it, you know, basically. Yeah. And not too many people. I mean, people in those days, I mean, these, I shouldn't say this, but people in those days didn't fire themselves up to rebel against positions of authority they just didn't do that you know no you're still sort of in that comfy mm-hmm. um, what we call call it sort of the the, the twilight years of all the great yeah. european empires yeah you know, the edwardian was, empire you know, it's such an incredibly creative time with all those composers but oh, yeah. also there was seems like there was a kind of rules that were set up that weren't really set up huh? yeah. did that make any sense yeah i mean well, yeah unspoken i mean rules. there were there were a lot of intellectual movements that a lot of these young yes that's true um, yes you know the, the scapigliature uh, in in italy and there was a similar group in germany and they talk here about ravel you know joining this group called les apaches the yes. uh, the hooligans right <laughs> i know <laughs> and they're literally in this case described as artistic outcasts i'm reading yes. so more so uranus there's more Uranus, right? Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. I kept reading these things. I said, I'll just add that to the Uranus pile, right? You know what I mean? It's just yeah. so prevalent in his life, you know, that he really did go against so much, you know. And, yeah. and it kind of, you well, usually bite him in the shorts after a while, too. Yeah. Yeah. And so finally, though, in about 1920, things started to heat up for him, which is great. Yeah. Kind of, I, it, what I wrote down here somewhere is that it seems as though... It would be for someone like Ravel, the time period would have to adjust to perfectly to him so that he would fit in. It's a reverse thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that sound what, what I'm saying? Yeah, well, we sense? could certainly see that there are a lot of, I mean, I did sort of a little timeline. You probably did as Oh, yes, well, yes, but, yes. Know, let's take a look at that. You know, uh, at, at age 27, progress lunar return, right? He attends Pelias and okay. Melisande, the premiere, and... Uh, as I th- I'm sure you noted, you know, most people didn't know what to make of it, but he was very enthusiastic about Pelias, you know, right. so, but so he's still sort of, I think, finding his way up right up until the the Saturn return. And it really, the first big success is at the upper Saturn square, which is often the case with, with certain types of people, you know, okay. he, he, he orchestrated the Pavan for a dead princess, which he'd written earlier, but when that was premiered, that orchestral version, he really had the beginnings of his success because people began to recognize, right. you know, the the unique uh, genius, you know. Um, and then a year later, he has the premiere of his little opera, L'Ur Espagnol, which is very charming. And, yeah, and, what uh, is that translated? Uh, the Spanish Hour. And there's <laughs> this funny joke about this workman who carries in all these clocks and the the, the, the lover of the soprano, the tenor, is basically carried inside the clock by this huge hulking workman so you know i mean it's very it's very charming oh, okay. wonderful opera that sounds yeah. kind of funny actually yeah yeah and then by 37 of course the three ballets including daphnis and chloe so by yeah after the upper saturn second upper saturn square he seems to arrive okay is this after saturn that, return 
Yeah, no, the uh, sort of age 35 to age 37. Okay, that's all right, I yeah, I, I got it, yeah. all right. I mean, you could see the formative influences in place, and that's often the case, you know, with, with these late bloomers, <laughs> is everything's there, but for whatever reason, the recognition doesn't come until that, that upper center square at age 35. Was yeah. similar with uh, Orson Welles. I'm working on a, a thing with him. You know, he he does Citizen Kane. Yeah. You know, before his Saturn return, but it's a flop. Uh, you know, at the box right. office. Right. It isn't until age 35 that he does a film that's okay. box office hit, and so fame then arrives in that sense. You know, so I mean, well, it seems like there's interesting parallels. Seems like the Saturn return would would have brought um, you around to back to yourself. And take a look at what yeah. you're doing and don't doesn't doing that isn't working and then change it. And then by the seven years later, you're having a major thing happen. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. That's yeah, he composed, as I know I noted here, a few Debussy like works prior to the Saturn return. So see the formative influences are still sort of coming into place. At thirty, of course, you have that whole scandal about the Prix de Rome where he right. is is eliminated and there's this huge, you know uproar because he's obviously extremely talented and it's you know purely political but so there's the the setback of saturn you yeah know, uh, right right after the return. stepping over the boundaries a little too far sounds yeah like. and i think holst it was kind of the same way for holst too he really didn't yeah hit, hit it big until after his saturn return, that's right you know? that's right yes exactly yeah. wow okay we got to take another break right now here, but when yeah. we get back, we're going to be actually the next piece we are going to listen to is uh, Pavon for the Dead Princess. So that's going to be coming up here shortly. So, anyway, this is the Jupiter Rising show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. <laughs> And this is a thing, <laughs> God, I'm starting so well. This is a live read for the Emerald Spiral Fair, which is coming up next Saturday. After almost two years, we're coming back on July 24th at Kent Commons. We are the biggest new age fair in the Northwest, featuring spiritual, metaphysical authors, crystals, and many psychic readers. There are over 60 booths selling crystals, books, and readings. And at least I know there's more booths available, so let me get back to that in a minute. Uh, bring your family, friends, kindred spirits, and explore this exciting world of alternative medicine, New Age wisdom, and quantum physics. Allow the Emerald Spiral Expo to help you discover a new adventure on your journey, spirituality, your purpose, and the magic inside you. The Emerald Spiral is a free event with free parking at the Kent Commons building which is 525 4th Avenue North on Saturday, on July 24, 2021. And the hours are 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. So if you want to learn more and you want to get a booth from Astara, Astara Brisky is a lady who's running this. And you can call her or contact her um, at emeraldspiral.com. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. We're a couple of baby boomers who bring you a talk radio mix of metaphysics and music, politics, and pop culture. And you never know which celebrity will join us for an interesting conversation. Mance and Mitchell is Boomer HQ, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on 1150 AM KKNW. Your home for alternative talk in Seattle and Western Washington. Be sure to support the sponsors of your favorite shows on Alternative Talk 1150. Oh, 
Man, it just gets better, doesn't it? Wow. Michael, that is beautiful. And I've heard that yep. before. That's yep. that's a familiar theme. That's a French horn, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought. And that wonderfully plaintive theme in, in the French horn. Oh, man, that would be the hardest thing to play, I bet. Oh, yeah. oh man, yeah. to control it. One just loves the horn, though. Oh, it's so beautiful. Oh, it's wonderful. In those contexts. I love gorgeous. the mellow instruments so much, like cello. Yeah. You know that kind of stuff. So yeah, yeah, that's that's an interesting piece. Now, what was the story behind that? It's a beautiful French title, but Pavan for a dead princess. Well, it's like a, I think it's a funeral cortege, basically. Oh, you know, that, okay, that, um, all right. I'd have to I'd have to double check, but I think okay. It's, uh, well, that makes sense. It know. does sort of sound like a bit of dirge, e. Yeah. 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 Okay. Hmm. You never know. Okay. That's the interesting. And see, thing. the interesting thing is, I said he wrote that piano piece in 1899 at the age of 24 but he didn't orchestrate it until age 35 and that's when uh-huh, that's people when sat up and took notice and said oh my goodness yeah. this is such a beautiful piece. yeah that's interesting i mean I, i'd have to study that myself about the first quarter square after the saturn yeah. return that's interesting um yeah. because it seems to me it sort of means you've done your homework and you do it again yeah, and then something yeah. happens right yeah. yeah. Well, often, I mean, I, I you probably consulted many more people than I have. But what I find is that certain individuals, when the, the the Saturn return comes, it isn't as if there's a huge upheaval in their lives, or there isn't no. a huge recognition. It waits that extra seven years, and then I mean, I can speak from personal experience. That's when my life blew up in a very interesting way. Was yeah. at my Saturn square. Saturn and, always um, delays. It always yeah, delays. Uh, so. So these types of individuals, it seems that they, maybe all of the structure is established by the, the Saturn return, but the, you know, the true manifestation of what that structure implies takes that bit longer. Yes, it takes a little, you know? like seven and a half years longer for it to kind yeah. of show up. You know, well, that and, makes you know sense. maybe with someone as watery as Ravel, it's the, the essentially inchoate nature of his, of his creative thought that just required that that much longer to sort of find oh, its frame. Sure. I mean, that makes sense because um, he was not like everybody else, people, you know, and he probably flowed a lot, but he also moved through things quickly because of the Uranus in his chart being so prominent. And basically kind of what he got known for was this real wacky side of him, you know, that kind of stood up to different authority figures that, sorry, I'm not doing that, you know, so it's... um, it's interesting, but to to hear it, it comes out in the music. Obviously, yeah, music is so Piscean, it's unbelievable. So, it's, well, in a in a weird way, when you just said that, I was reminded of Dickens' Uriah Heep, who basically said at one point, "I would prefer not to." I think that's the I think that's the Ravel mantra. It's like he people said, "Oh, you should do this, you should do that." He'd say, "Well, I'm just going to do my own thing." I don't think I, so. I'd rather not no. do that. You know? Yeah, and. Uh, <laughs> There's an interesting little uh, song that he's set by a, a, a poet named Christian Klingsor, which is called, of all things, L'Indifferent, which means the indifferent one. Oh. And it has a sort of ambiguous sexuality in it, which... Very much the, him, too. Yeah, Yeah, which is very much him. But it's that same idea, is that he sort of sees this enigmatic sexual figure in a doorway, and they're, they're sort of just passing through, and he asks them to stay, but they say, no, I'm not. And, and you can sort of see it rebel. Uh, reflected in that whole uh, mm-hmm. ethos, you know, throughout his entire life. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I mean, 
I was kind of reading through the section on his personal life, and there was this little teeny paragraph. Not much there, you know. No, when you no. compare it to other other individuals. Yeah. No, he didn't yeah. show it, you know. And no. if he did, you know, it was very private, very tucked away. Nobody knew who yeah. he was, you know. No. Yeah, and I mean, that's we could say that's the Pisces for sure. I mean, not really yeah. knowing somebody, probably because yeah. he wasn't sure if he knew himself that well. But you know, could be, yeah, yeah. yeah. That could be a possibility, but yeah. Um, okay, let's move on to the point where he has his accident because ah uh, yes, that's uh, this is serious and it was it changed the course of his life, and I want to talk a little bit about some possibilities with that. So it was October tenth, nineteen thirty-two. I didn't get a time, but I wrote the, did the chart around it, and sure enough, me too. <laughs> See, we're so good. <laughs> You know. <laughs> We're nothing if not thorough. That's right. And I have a Virgo moon. What can I say? So and, and any, you know what I've got in Virgo. So that's right. Yes, we do. So okay. And the thing that I noticed, of course, of the most was Mars, right smack on his Uranus. I mean, yep. ugh, well, okay. You know, and it was a head injury, which you know Mars yep. rules the head. So this thing happened all of a sudden. Bing, bang, boom. It was done. So. Let's let's talk a little bit about you know how this affected him. It was pretty well, interesting. Pretty of course, he wasn't driving; he was in a taxi, right? So he's oh, a, a, so he wasn't driving a, either. So he wasn't even no, in control. Okay, no, it was a, a passive victim, and apparently it was just a minor bump on the head. But yeah. what it seemed to do, as I know you probably read, is it, it seemed to exacerbate sort of pre-existing tendencies toward a certain mental uh, lack of mental clarity yeah. and uh, yeah. And over time, of course, it developed into full-blown aphasia. You know, where he, yeah, that's right. He no longer, even though he could still think in musical terms and he could still recognize certain musical things, like he could recognize that a friend's piano was on tune, for example, he could no longer write music. Yeah, right. Completely, and he couldn't even hear music either. He yeah, couldn't. Yeah. 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 It was so tragic. It was. It kind of reminded me of Beethoven losing his 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 uh, yeah, hearing. Yeah, similar idea. Yeah, something like that, you know, where he had it for a while, it was wonderful, but then, you know, boom, it's gone. And um, the thing that I was kind of thinking about was that, and I don't know why I was thinking about this, but, you know, the fact that he got this head wound and then literally it just, it just dovetailed, went downhill from there where he just completely, you know, lost, you know, all perception and, you know, he couldn't, you know, his brain wasn't working right. <clears throat> now, admittedly, this isn't as much as a football player would get, but I mean, a football player would get way more than that. But I'm thinking it was about CTE. You know, I don't know why that came out, but um, that that one injury, it's like having it, and it wasn't a big blow, but it probably hit a certain part of his head that wasn't a good place to hit. You know, yeah. and it kind of dovetailed into everything else, sort of like CTE does in football players. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm not recognizing recognizing the acronym. What is it? What's CTE, that? CTE. You said. What What's the acronym you're using? CTE. CTE. Yeah, oh, you do you know what that is? No, I know about traumatic brain injury (TBI), but not okay. CTE. Uh, CTE <laughs> is a condition that is discovered in football players after they've played for years and years, that basically dis disintegrates the brain, and oh, okay. and from all the hits that they get on their head, you know, oh, okay. like uh, Aaron yeah. Ru Aaron Hernandez who was very violent and and killed people, 
had CTE yeah. worse than anybody that he'd ever seen. You can't see it until after the person's died. They have to do an right. autopsy to see it. And it stands for oh. chronic traumatic encephalopathy. Encephalopathy. Oh, okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, okay. So, I mean, that's, and I, I've read about a lot of different particulars, very powerful football players that have, that really need the, the security of being taken care of by the NFL once they get older because their brains start to go, go crazy, you yeah. know, because of all the blows they've taken on their head. So, yeah. um, and this is a recent, kind of a recent situation, but it's very, very serious. So this sort of reminded me of that, even though you had one blow, you know, and it wasn't even that bad, it must have hit something fairly critical in his mind because everything else seemed to kind of fall apart when he, when that happened. Yeah. Yeah. Apropos of this from an astrological perspective, yes. in addition to the transiting conjunction of, of Mars with natal Uranus, we have the transiting Mars Uranus midpoint 16 Gemini, which is square his sun moon conjunction. Ooh. And I note further that of course, if you look at his sixth house natal, he's got Chiron in what sign? Aries. Okay. Right with Neptune, so that in many ways, I think that describes the whole nature of the right. of the health crisis that ensued. He has a head injury, that's and then the the, the the uh, what we call it, you know, and, you know, and something dissolving I, aspect of Neptune. Yeah, and something else I'm noticing here. I did mm -hmm. a bywheel, and the North Node is in 15 Pisces, going right yep. over his Sun Moon combination. Yep. North Node. I mean, that's literally okay. We're going to change and go this direction. The whole chain, yep. in persona and everything. Yeah, you know? the nodal axes in both charts are activated very strongly. Yeah, yeah, very. You, strong. you have transiting Uranus at, at uh, of course, at, at twenty-one Aries, and uh, you know it's conjunct his uh, his his natal Chiron and his natal North Node. So there's this, all these replications of these implications, yeah. you know, of injury to the head. Which would explain how, how almost all parts of his brain seem to just kind of go tilt at once, you yeah. know. And um, it's really sad because he, and he was actually quite, he kind of knew what was going on, kind of, you know, but yeah. he wasn't able to do anything about it type of thing. He was still conscious and he was in good, sh not relatively good shape. But um, he was, he, he didn't, he had to die with this stuff in his head and he knew what was going on. Yeah. You know? So that's. Yeah, I found an interesting article by a gentleman named Richard E. Sekowitz and he wrote a great deal about synesthesia. Now, I okay. was under the impression that Ravel yeah. was uh, someone who had synesthesia, but I've since come across sources that said no. But, but he did write a very interesting article about Ravel's aphasia and he said, in spite of the aphasia, he said, Ravel recognized tunes easily, especially his own compositions. Right. And could readily point out errors of incorrect notes or rhythm. Right. Could, and as I said, you mentioned earlier, he could understand that a friend's piano was out of tune, but he just simply couldn't bring the music forth as notation. Right. Right. He could probably still hear it in his head, as you pointed so out. So it actually affected the left side of his brain, right? Yeah, it would seem so. Yeah. yeah. You know, the analytical part where he couldn't yeah. really write anything down. But the right side of yeah, the brain was similarly okay. Oh, yeah. interesting. Okay. That, yeah. that just makes sense. You know, I, it makes more sense when we talk about it. Because I was, <laughs> re I was reading this. I, you know, how am I putting this all together? You know, I'm looking at the astrology. I'm seeing some of the things that are happening, which 
you know, and also he had Saturn going over Venus too. Oh my God, yeah. he had that too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, so. oh, that would have been like a doorstop put right there, real quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that would have been tough. So, anyway, we have to take another break really quick, and when we get back, we'll be finishing up with Mr. Maurice Ravel. This is the Jupiter Rising Show right here on KKNW Alternative Talk Radio. And this is a live read for Susan Bergstrom of the Medicare Exchange. Susan Bergstrom is a licensed agent in Washington and Oregon, helping people obtain security in their lives and providing insurance that pays for final expenses and money for transitioning after a loved one dies. Now, there's a new long-term health care tax here in Washington State. It's starting in January 2022. It is going to be imposed on everyone that is a W-2 employee. That's most everybody except for people on Medicare and, you know, that kind of stuff, So or self-employed. This is a new state tax. You will be forced to pay $0.71 cents for every $100 you earn. So if you earn $200,000 per year gross, the state will take $1,160 per year in additional taxes from you. The benefit will give you $100 per day for one year if you still live in Washington. To qualify, you must pay in for 10 years, and even after that, you don't get any money. So I can, she says she can provide a personal long-term health care policy with much better benefits if you want to opt out of the state's plan. The state has made tax mandatory. You can, cannot opt out unless you pay for your own. There's a bunch of rules on how policy must be structured. Please call me if you want a cheaper option. Most life insurance contracts with long-term health care writers do not meet the criteria. It is worth a conversation. So if you want to talk to her, call her at Susan Bergstrom at the Medicare Exchange, and her number is 253-318-9379, and you can contact her at sbergstrom at americanseniorbenefits.com, and... We're going to be at the Emerald Fair next week. She and I are sharing a booth number, a booth number 36. So come and see her and talk to her at that time. Like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 1150 KKNW. You know, <laughs> that's, that's very different from him. It seems like it reminds me wandering through a forest dark at night. Yeah. You're seeing all these things flying around and bugs around and, and animals around. That's what it reminds me. Mm-hmm. But right, so that's Laval's. Laval's, uh, that's correct. Yeah. Which is sort of a how, how would you describe it? it? It's sort of a postmodern. I mean, this yeah. is obviously long before postmodernism, but sort of a deconstruction of the Viennese waltz. Oh, um, oh, oh, really? Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Like he's playing. Yeah, again, and he proposed it as a ballet to Diaghilev, who said, "No, no," he said, "It's a." It's a magnificent work, but it's not a ballet, although it was yeah, subsequently right. staged by other people. And, uh, you know, it's a very interesting work. So we haven't listened to Bolero, I mean. It's coming up at the end. Oh, okay. <laughs> We're saving the best for, we've here. Everybody else is probably going, well, where is Bolero? I said, it's going to end the show today. And I figure that's a good place to put it, you know, because we yeah, play a little yeah. bit of it that for there, you know, so... Yes, I know, I know. I just wanted to leave it as a surprise. 
Oh, so. I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't mean to spoil the surprise. That's okay. I bet you, I thought you might be wondering about that too, but it's going to see <laughs> us out today. So, um, oh, yeah. go ahead. Anyway, so his, this is interesting because when was this comp- composed? What part of his life? Was it at the end of Le, his life that he composed? Le Vals? No, no. At 45 in 1920. So, oh, okay. You know, uh, after, after his involvement in the First World War, which right. is it? Is an interesting thing, I think, for him. Yeah, would. Although, although many of the composers that were alive at that time, you know, would have would have readily signed up. But he was a bit on the old side. You know. See, he was a lorry driver. Yeah, lorry driver. Yeah. yeah. And, and they wanted to give him the Legion d'honneur for his participation. He said, "No, I don't want it." Right. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So, and after the death of his mother, of course, um, which hit him very hard. Yeah, I mean, it was just but, you know. I mean, he was starting to gain some popularity through the 20s, too. But Yeah. Um, um, that... Well, in 1928, he did a four-month tour of North America, as you probably know. Yes, and that he was did. Really, yeah, he did. That was really the apex of his international popularity while he was alive. Yeah. Do so we know what cities enough, he came to? After his Chiron return. Go ahead. Do you know what cities did he come to in the United States? Oh, I can't remember. Okay. Quite, quite a few of them. Just curious. Yeah. yeah. That's, that would have been a real, that would have been tough on him because of his physical stuff that was going on. It seems yeah, like he it did, there was an all revel program that Serge Kusevitsky, very famous for his uh, championship of works by young composers, did okay. in New York. And Ravel got a standing ovation right. at the concert in New York. Remember and he said, time. Here, and you probably saw this, he said, Well, you know, this sort of thing just doesn't happen to me in Paris. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> he went to Niagara Falls, apparently, and the Grand Canyon. But again, remained profoundly unmoved by this development. It's right. like he, he said, this this recent acclaim is no more important than the, the earlier condemnation that I received. Right, exactly. Now, when it comes down to Polaro, because everybody knows this, what year was this composed? This was, um, uh, I can't remember. I um, oh, I wrote it down here. Last composition of the 20s. Oh, did it at the end of the 20s. Okay. Yeah, uh, 1928, okay, more or less right, right. simultaneous with that tour. Again, interestingly, after his Chiron return, his, his, yeah. he re- achieves the apex of his fame. You know, of course, this... we could argue maybe that's because Chiron's sitting right on the North Node. Oh, well, no wonder. Yeah, that's yeah. like really, really brought that for. Okay, so um, it was an interesting piece because he he actually said at one point i wrote one masterpiece unfortunately there's no music in it <laughs> I that was so funny so i mean and it was his most famous piece you know he yeah. people loved that piece you know yeah. and um Eileen, have you ever heard Frank Zappa's cover of the Oh, Mary? no, I haven't. I've missed that yeah, you, one. That should be you interesting. Should, you should listen to it. It's really great. Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> now, I heard some sort of story that when it was first played somewhere, that um, that when the people were listening to it, they were saying listen to it, and they got progressively more agitated as the music got further and further into the piece. You know, because... It, if in case he didn't know this, but I mean, this could be as his, his sexuality that was kind of way on the back burner, you know, with Scorpio uh-huh. rising too, you just never know. But you yeah. know, that piece is just one big sexual act as far as I'm concerned. That's what I heard. Oh, that's interesting. It. Yeah, no, you could certainly argue. He said it was one big crescendo. Yeah, sure. a big and, crescendo. And that's typically with sex. That's the way it is. And at the end, yeah, there's a yeah. big climax, right? 
Yeah. You know, yeah. and so that's what I kept thinking when I heard it. And of course, you know, um, Bold Derek made really good use of that piece during her movie oh, yeah. 10. You know, that's oh, what yeah. really brought it to popularity. But uh, yeah, I was, it's, it's like when I listen to it, I sit there and I get more and more tense. Listen to it, you know. It's just getting more tense. I can't stand it. I wish it would release. And then it, when it, chords actually release, and you go, "Oh, thank God!" You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Now I can breathe again. You know, it, yeah. it really was like that for the first time I heard it. The whole thing, you know, yeah. seventeen minutes worth of interesting. He said it was seventeen minutes worth of something. It was yeah. um, something like just nothing. Or, you know, no music at all, but yeah, yeah. Well, apparently, the premiere, some some old woman stood up and shouted, Rubbish, yeah, and said, yeah, right. And he said, Yep, well, she got the message, yeah, she, <laughs> yeah right. So, well, speaking as a musician, I, I would maybe argue that it's an early example of a certain type of musical development, but it's really textural, um, yeah. modulation rather than thematic, yeah, you know, modulation or thematic, exactly. Uh, he said it was very technical uh, and sort of non music. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it it really is just repeating themes all the way through it. But it's quite musical, actually. I think it's quite lovely. But um, but his perspective of it was like, well, it's something I did. I had to write it for something. He had a commission to write that. So yeah. um, I don't know. Maybe he was just kind of on a tape loop the whole time. I don't know. Yeah. You know, yeah. It makes sense. I have three minutes. Oh, thank you. Okay. okay. So, yes, he just did three at me. Okay. So we need okay. to kind of, you know, you know, close this one down today. This was really good, though. Such an oh, interesting yeah. topic. You know, yeah. he was one well, of. I'm glad I was able to introduce you to some of his really. Yeah, thank you pieces. because that's so beautiful. Yeah. Some of all of it is beautiful. Yeah. I just love the tonality of it. But yeah. I mean, I'm actually turning into you know, with a Neptune going over my sun for the last, uh, you know, six months. I've been enjoying music way more than I ever have before, you know, especially oh, classical cool. music. So it just makes Great. perfect sense. So yeah. thank you so much for being on our show today, as usual. And no, it was um, a delight, Eileen. Well, thank you. And another six weeks, we'll have you on doing somebody else. We'll figure that out in the meantime. Yep, absolutely. Okay. Thank you so much. Appreciate okay, it. Okay, Eileen. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Yeah. Talk to you soon. Okay. So... All right, so uh, we're going to do the upcoming events. Two minutes. Oh, God, I've got to hurry up. Okay, we have uh, the uh, Readings After Dark, which is Monday night at Pizza Casa in Lakewood. That's 12924 Pacific Highway Southwest, uh, 98499, and it's at 4 o'clock. We start there and go to about 6. Okay, and then we also have the new Jupiter Experience, a metaphysical physical conversation it's a psychic group starting in Lakewood on beginning on August 3rd at Pizza Casa. And we will have Donna Sebo speaking at the very first one. And also I do the horoscope column on the KKNW's website. Every, every week we change that. It's weekly horoscope. And also I have a couple of items on Barrel Full of Monkeys. Those two audio books I read too. Well, one minute. Okay. So. Anyway, so you can get a hold of me at EileenGrimes.com and JupiterRising.com at AOL.com. And um, Michelangelo, what's your email address or your your address? Uh, email address, Planetary yes. Vibrational Medicine, all one word, at gmail.com. Thank you very much. Okay. So 
And next week, we will not be here because it's going to be the Emerald Spiral. But the following week, we're having on uh, Susan Bergstrom. She's going to be talking about the Medicare stuff that's going on right now. And we're going to end this show with Bolero. Have a good week, everybody.